Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'll get you to both introduce yourselves. Christine, would you like to go first? Sure. My name's Christine Diana Kelly. I'm a community pharmacist at the pharmacy in Leichhardt, New South Wales. Hello. Thank you for having me. And my name's Emil Demian from Belmore Pharmacy, representative of CAPS. Fantastic. So um, since we last spoke, um, CAPS attended Parliament in Canberra. So I thought I'd find out, did you feel that it was a successful um, exercise? Definitely. Oh me, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I, well we did. It was um it was a great day. The uh, the attendance was huge. Um we had, you know, farmers coming from every state around the country, which is uh, was monumental for something like this. Uh really showed that, you know, the industry is united, uh the industry is really feeling the pain or was gonna feel the pain of what was about to come and understood that. Um and we really need to make a it, you know, make it really clear that we were we were hurt. Um, that this policy needed uh, needed to be fixed, um, and yeah, so I mean, you know, it was a successful uh, event itself. Obviously, the, the events that transpired that day gave us a bit more publicity um, than we expected, um, but you know, the intentions were were there. The, the right intentions were there the whole day. Yeah. All right, Christine, what were your thoughts? Yeah, correct. So, you know, there's 6,000 pharmacies in Australia. We had over 3,000 actually in Canberra. Then we had actually um, online presence was over 3,000 as well, especially when we were doing our pharmacy oath. So we basically had a 100% interactions, um, activation of all pharmacies across the nation, which just like what Emil said, shows that we are united as a profession and we want to make sure that we're still around to actually help our communities and that's what all of this is about, is actually the fact that we want to stay viable so then we can help our communities. We want to help with the cost of living pressures, etc. And this is the only way to do it, is to try and get these politicians to actually listen to us. So what happened in question time in Canberra, it was obviously very blown out. Um, there, was, there was none of the ruckus that they've said. Um, it was very obvious. Um, we all stood up as soon as Susan Lay was kicked out of Parliament. And we all left. So there was no kicking out like what they'd um, alluded to. Um, and, yeah, so overall it was a really good day. Thank you. The media coverage has not always been favourable for the Canberra event. Uh, were you surprised by this? I don't think we were surprised, um, you know, especially uh, with the topic so hot, you know, it's uh, – to the, man, the most powerful guy controls the media, right? So, um, yeah, we walked out of that, uh, we walked out of Parliament, and the cameras were there, uh, and we told them, you know, why we did it, and you know, and the reasons behind it. So, uh, there was definitely a bit of spin uh, behind the story. Uh, I think you know the truth sort of broke through uh, eventually, um, but you know, the media was good media regardless. Um, you know, it put the issue on the, you know, on top of the, the news run the next day uh, for a couple of days. Um, and that sort of gave us some more exposure and we had more, more people from around the nation calling 
Uh, we had more politicians, local MPs that want to, you know, re-engage with us after that to see what happened. You know, I thought this was sorted, all those sort of comments. I thought you guys were happy now, you know, but um, obviously, um, you yeah, know, we are we're not, we're still not. Um, but it just takes that, this consistent um, noise um, to make sure that our message is heard, yeah. Christine, what, what were your thoughts about the media coverage um, not being so favourable for Canberra and were you surprised by this? Absolutely not surprised by it at all. I'm pretty sure um, they were waiting for us to even lift a finger wrong before they shot out some pre-prepared uh, media coverage that was going to reflect poorly on us, only because they know that the communities, that they're voting communities, reflect, um, they think poorly of the government as well at the moment because um, it's all becoming a reality. Um, so obviously they've got to hit us with something because there's a reason we are one of the top three trusted professions in the country and that these politicians are one of the top, uh, one of the bottom three, you know, trusted in the country. So, you know, when the pharmacists fight and we don't often fight, actually I think this is probably the first time we've really had a really big fight in the last 30 years, um, people are like, what is going on? And that's when they start engaging and listening. How are pharmacists that you're speaking to coping with 60-day dispensing in practice? And how are they coping with the narratives from other stakeholders regarding pharmacists' concerns? I think, yeah, I think the pressure is, is mounting, you know. Um, there was a lot of anxiety uh, building up to the start of the 60-day. Um, yeah, the transition was difficult, especially with, and it's still difficult, uh, many, many stakeholders along in the whole process, you know, because it hasn't been a smooth transition, a simple uh, transition and a lot of mixed messaging. Um, it's added a, a huge burden onto the pharmacists, you know. Um, prescribers had a, had a perception of what this thing meant. Patients had a perception of what this thing meant, and that's all from that you know, mismanagement of information that was coming from the government to the public. Um, and all, all that caused was more confusion, more uncertainty, and this smoke and mirrors situation, which, you know, sold the, this policy as the dream and that saved everybody money. Um, when people were rocking up and saying, where's my two-for-one medication? You know, and the, the official number was, you know, six million Aussies down to four million Aussies was what Mark Butler was talking about in Parliament. So that number... Uh, is was, was quickly de declining. Um, what you're left with is people asking questions, not getting results. Doctors writing scripts that aren't compliant. You know, it's a stable patient, which was the purpose of it. Uh, scripts being written, not reducing doctor visits, which is what the purpose of the policy was. Um, and patients getting scripts, thinking they're going to get a saving when they're not saving anything at all. So, you know. Across the board, from the patient to the prescriber to the pharmacist, everyone is being impacted negatively by this. And that's before we even talk about, you know, the emotional pressure, the, uh, the financial pressure on the businesses, and that this is just going to escalate. You know, like we're not even through the first tranche yet. We're not even first a few, a few couple of months into the, into the process. Um, and as, as it increases, you know, and as uh, the scripts flow through, um, it's just going to just cause more and more burden. Uh, it's going to cause more pressure on the patients. It's going to have, you know, consequences on pricing and services and uh, other items in the shop, you know. So the whole cost of living crisis and the pressure people are under, 
Um, it just, yeah, it's very tough right now. Um, Christine, how do you feel about um, how pharmacists are coping with 60-day dispensing and how they're coping with the narratives from other stakeholders regarding pharmacists' concerns? Look, everything I say is going to resonate in exactly the same way that Emil said, but I will add <clears throat> that we have had pharmacies that have actually copped a lot of abuse. So we have a pharmacy up north where a patient came in, wanted their two-for-one, the prescriber hadn't written it because their drugs were not part of that tranche. And the pharmacist was called a liar, had the boxes thrown in their faces, very aggressive, very abusive. For one, it wasn't the patient's fault. It was the patient's fault for getting abusive. But two, it wasn't the pharmacist's fault either. And it wasn't really the prescriber's fault either because the prescriber didn't prescribe it because they couldn't. So everyone's been lied to. And just like what Emil said, from the, the patient to the prescriber to the pharmacist, it's all gone bad. Um, no one should be copying abuse um, over something like this where it's supposed to be a cost-of-living measure. It's supposed to make people happy, and it isn't. So it's not delivering. What are your experience? What has your experience been with the level of understanding of the policy by patients and by doctors? So you've mentioned it a little bit, but if you had anything else you wanted to add to it? Yeah, I feel like I jumped the gun there. Um, the level of understanding, honestly, has been minimal to none. You know, um, messaging conversations I've had personally with prescribers is I thought everything is two for one. I didn't know that was on there. I didn't know I had, you know, it was for stable patients only. Um, and then you, then you had the other spectrum of prescribers, for example, who would get defensive, you know, I want to write a 60 day script with no repeats, you know, so how does that benefit, you know, benefits the patient for that one month? Patient starts to go back to the GP every two months which is an increase of visit, not decrease of visits. And the pharmacist has done the same amount of work for half the pay, you know. So that's the prescriber side of things. The patients, again, like, you know, you saw the ads, you saw the social media campaigns. Two for one is not, is not you know, what this should be about. You know, this is PBS listed medication. Um, the true intention of a double 60-day script, you know, is for cost of living, is for reduced visits to the JPGP, um, and it and it shouldn't be uh, listed for medications that are currently out of stock or low stock, you know. So all the uh, all the different mechanisms that should come with this policy that weren't included, that would would make it make it a true policy that could be utilised in the future, um, but were not included. Um, and then all, all that's happened is it's caused a lot of confusion and um, and angst and you know like like christine said uh, people are angry at pharmacists and angry at their doctors and um, yeah it's just not fair that people should be so confused about um our australian healthcare system which is you know fair and reasonable supply to every australian equal across the nation you know which this is not so for me i would question what is actually stability how do you define a stable patient and also many of the questions that have arisen is who's liable for that if the doctor says that the patient is stable even though they're on a brand new script and then the patient has an infarction two weeks later who's liable for that in the end 
So we've got to ask those sort of questions as well. Um, and then you've seen instances where patients have been prescribed double dispensing and then they're in literally three or four days later because their prescription didn't fit for purpose. Um, they reacted poorly. So then not only has that patient been a new drug, then there's medication wastage as well. So for a, uh, for a policy that's actually supposed to save money, it may actually end up resulting in costing the government, the taxpayers, more money as well in terms of the medication wastage. And we've seen this happen overseas already. Um, and it's something that our government should have actually looked at and actually um, analysed before they brought this forward or maybe put in some guidelines or some policies, just like what Emil had said before. But we've seen that this government doesn't really analyse anything. Um, it's not just related to this policy. Um, everything that they've you know, put forward has not been put through, has not been analysed. And this is the result. So I might ask, um, you just mentioned overseas with the wastage. Um, have you got any, so what data are you sharing that from? So tell me more about it. The government has noted that that increased wastage and they have um, felt that burden, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's overseas. And then we're now see, we're seeing that in our groups because, you know, across all the CAPS uh, groups across the nation that we've, we've uh, that are part of our, you know, organisation now, um, people are sharing posts, you know, regularly about these situations, about, you know, 10 boxes of insulin that went out two weeks ago coming coming back, you know, to go straight into a rum bin or, um, or injections, you know, worth thousands of dollars that went out, that never got used, that coming straight back in. Um, and so adding, yeah, adding to the, the shortage issue is also waste, you know, um, and that's a big problem. So CAPS has developed a letter to GPs about 60-day dispensing. Can you tell us more about that letter? Yeah, so I think yeah, also part of, you know, the, the environment leading up to this 60-day policy, we felt like there was a bit of a wedge that was trying to get put between us and our G and the GPs that we work with every day. Um, that's pharmacists and prescribers, but, you know, 99% of pharmacists and prescribers will tell you we actually work very well together. Uh, we collaborate well together. We, you know, take burdens off each other where needed. And so, you know, once we saw that the education piece hadn't hit the prescribers, uh, you know, as thoroughly enough as we would have expected it to, uh, we thought we would make a letter that would further describe the situation um, because we sort of collated all the questions and the feedback we're getting from prescriber discussions we were having. You know, every time we got a script that seemed incorrect, 60-day script that seemed incorrect, we'll call the GP, we'll have our chat to our local GP. Most of the time they understood the situation and would, and would help rectify it. You know? So we collated these discussions, again, from across the nation. We had all CAPS groups giving feedback daily. Um, and that sort of was collated into that letter. Um, and the letter was to then further explain if the patient is you know, not going to benefit from this scheme, uh, why they're not going to benefit from the scheme financially. Um, again, giving some guidance on you know, the whole stable patient, not stable patient. We understand this prescriber's discretion. They can make any decision possible that they want. Um, but, you know, we thought we'd collaborate with the prescriber instead of, Fight, you know, fighting with them or, or working against them because that's not the intention of us or of them. You know, we're, we're all here to help our patients. 
Um, and you know, we've been through this over and over again. What we know will be the flaws of the policy. Um, and you know, it's, it's only right that they also understand that. So then the patient gets the best possible outcome health wise and financially from yeah. this. So that was the purpose of the letter. My wife's a Christine, you're happy with that? Yes. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Good. Okay. Um, <laughs> will CAPS be organising more demonstrations or more community action? Yeah, so you've, uh, we're having our chat on the right day. Um, we actually had uh, had a protest um, in the works, in the planning for November the 1st. Um, that was going to be in Parramatta Square. Um, obviously, the, the protest environment at the moment, with everything that's happening overseas, um, is you know just a lot happening in that space councils police uh you know controlling the community space uh, there was 22 protests last week there's 22 more protests planned for next week which is when we were planning to do the pharmacy protest um Parramatta being a major hub uh, what we did we actually sent out a survey to see uh, what our attendance would be like and it was actually more than what we expected so we had to go back um to the council and, you know, we went back to do our piece um, and it just wasn't going to work out next week, you know, so we decided to postpone our protest. Uh, we had politicians uh, organised, um, again, hundreds of pharmacists engaged, had plans had the day off to be there. Um, so we thank everyone that was uh, supporting the day, uh, but it just timing is not right. There's, you know, some bigger issues out there as well, you know, um, even though we think our issues are the most important sometimes. So we've postponed that, um, and in replacement of that, that evening will be a, a CAPS national webinar um, to continue to push our messaging that we're going to talk about on the day to everyone involved. Um, and Christine, do you want to expand on on that? Look, I, th I think it's um, I think a lot of pharmacists already know there's a lot of pressure out there. There's a lot of pressure points. But I, I, it's important for us to have this webinar so then everyone feels like their points are, are united, that we're all feeling the same hurt. We're all, you know, we're also all human. Um, we also feel what our communities are feeling. And it's good for them to feel really supported. And I think that's really important. Um, and that's the reason why we're having this webinar. Um, and also, um, obviously, they need to know that we still need to apply the pressure that we've got only eight weeks up until mid-December for this to happen as well. And um, and it's important that the politicians also um, know that we're still going, still continuing, and um, and that we're still fighting. So you've mentioned the eight weeks a couple of times. So I'd like to ask, what do you hope to see from the eight CPA discussions and within that short time frame? Yeah, I mean, from our uh, from our understanding, you know, the government has uh, made a commitment to start the eight CPA by March 2024. Uh, for that to be to come to life, for that to be a real start date, um, negotiations. With you know the stakeholders, with the guild, with all parties, and signed off on an agreement needs to be done by Christmas. You know, by the time Christmas break, January break, a couple of sittings in Parliament, and then this needs to be written in, and you know, and all other funding be approved, etc. To start by March, this has to be done and negotiated and agreed upon by December. So that's that. That's the eight-week time frame. That it's not our time frame. That's just the time frame of these 
for the deals um, from what we understand. So what we uh, what we want from the pharmacists now is to keep that fire up, is to make sure that you know we keep our voices heard and we make our expectations of the CPA agreement you know, clear. And we'll talk about that more in the webinar. I think you know we'll, we'll talk about what our expectations are. Um, but you know it's it's uh, it's important that these things happen at a pretty rapid pace because like I said, it's gonna be agreed upon by December, not not ideas up in the air in December, you know. So uh, that's what Caps is gonna push for, get put push towards and um and hopefully, you know, there's a deal that can be done I'm sure. But it's up to all parties involved to to get it done for us and for the sake of the patients. You know? That's right. I mean, we can be satisfied, um, and as long as we're heard and our demands are met with some reason as well. But the thing is, is like as you can see, we are all very united. So if we are needed to fire up again, I'm sure the whole profession will be there to make sure that we remain viable come 2024. What is next for cats? Yeah, um, like I said, um, I think the next big event for us is the the webinar next week. Um, that will set the stage for the next eight weeks. Um, we have some uh, some big tasks on our hands that we're going to need the support of all pharmacists around the nation. And I think we have to, you know, keep uh, supporting our pharmacists, our colleagues. Uh, through the challenges that we're, that we're facing um, and ensure that, you know, we work towards that agreement um, at the end of the year. And then I'd say, what else can pharmacists do now? Pharmacists can keep on talking to their local members because it's really important to know that the problem hasn't gone away, that we're just not going to be silent and just accept it. Um, and even though everyone knows that they've made a commitment to the HCPA, it's currently blank and we don't really know what that's going to involve. And so we can't just rest, um, you know, so pharmacists can call the MPs, pharmacists can continue to talk to our patients and our communities and make, and make them realise the reason why we are a trusted and a needed healthcare profession. Um, every time they come in and they can't see someone, but they can come and see us, we need to remind them of that as well because that's something that, you know, as Anthony Albanese once said, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. So that's something that they need to be, um, that, that people need to realise and remember on a daily basis. Um, we can't forget that in pharmacy nationwide, we see over 1.2 million patients a day through our pharmacies. They come in through our doors. I don't think there's any other profession out there that has those sort of touch points, right, um, and where people can come in and freely get services straight away. Um, and that's something that we also need to remind our patients of and our politicians about because I think the human aspect of all of this can get lost. The message is, you know, um, Christine touched on it briefly, is 
Our pharmacists are not unreasonable people. You know, we've always supported the healthcare system. We've always supported Australians. We've always supported our patients and done what's right for the nation. You know, like we understand things change. So there's a reasonable deal that can be done that will keep us viable, that will make medications cheaper for all Australians, not just 4 million out of 26 million. Um, and all, all these important points are what we need government to respond to. We've said it multiple times. This is the opportunity to, to get it down, you know, into an agreement like every other government has for many years. Lock one in. Um, that's, that's gonna, you know, keep all stakeholders viable. Um, and just, you know, and give the, give the nation and give the voters, give the Australian public, you know, what they deserve as well. Um, and really, maintain the integrity of you know the one of the world's finest pharmaceutical services you know, community farms in australia is the best in the world um and we're proud of that service and we want to keep that service going so um, yeah thank you we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the ajp podcast if you have any thoughts comments or suggestions about this episode please visit the ajp website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation if you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP Podcast and send us a message.